The Unpleasant Experience of Elizabeth Reynolds. Elizabeth went home feeling quite happy, ever since John had moved to Chidiac Whitchurch she had found herself quite attracted to him, liking his quiet humor and innate gentleness. She hadn't acted on her feelings, as she had been wary of another relationship following her last two disasters. Smiling ruefully, she reflected that she did have grounds to be wary of men. First there had been Trevor Maitland, a manager at the City Investment Bank she had joined as a young graduate. He had been sophisticated, debonair and rich while she had been young and naive. Trevor had been darkly handsome and there was a hint of the dark about him that made him widely exciting. The bank had followed a policy that the teams worked hard together then spent the evenings playing hard together so she rarely met anyone else. Trevor had romanced her, showering her with gifts. She remembered that when he discovered that she liked opera he took her to Italy for a romantic weekend that included seats at La Scala. She'd fallen for him totally and they had been married, not in her local church as she'd wanted but at a much more impressive one in London. She remembered her happiness and the sheer joy of her honeymoon in the Maldives. It had soon changed. For Trevor the pleasure was in the pursuit not the having and he had started ignoring her and chasing other women. Finally, she'd had enough and confronted him about it. Not only had she brought up his infidelities but also, she had plucked up the courage in a crowded wine bar after work, which had embarrassed him. She flinched as she remembered how he'd taken her home in a grim silence and then once they were indoors, he had viciously beaten her, but carefully so that none of the bruises would show. Stupidly she had tried to save her marriage, believing him when he told her that she was useless. When he started bringing his mistresses home to further embarrass her, she had become hooked on antidepressives and alcohol. She had been in a quiet hell with no way out. It had changed on her 28th birthday when, having left the office at lunchtime to buy a half bottle of vodka, she had spoken to her local big-issue salesman. Because he was a friendly stranger everything had come out. The salesman had pointed out that her life with all its wealth and privilege was worse than his homeless existence. She had given him the bottle of vodka and 50 pounds before returning to work. The next morning, she had feigned illness and had opened herself a separate bank account. A week later, when her husband was away on a three-day conference she had posted her letter of resignation, transferred exactly one-third of their joint account into her new personal account, she carefully took account of their different salaries. Packing one suitcase she had then gone to see a solicitor and had started divorce proceedings. With a lighter heart she had gone to Waterloo Station and got a one-way ticket to the end of the line which just happened to be Weymouth. A week later and she was working as a doctor's receptionist and had signed up for pottery classes in the evening. When the divorce was finalized, she'd moved again to Chidiac Whitchurch where she'd set up as an art potter and never looked back. Her next relationship was with a solicitor from Bridport. Paul Richards had been an ordinary man, not very showy and refreshingly middle class. His one vice was water sports, but he was very good company. They got engaged at a Christmas party at the yacht club. It had been a pleasant engagement although much lower key than her first and she had been looking forward to setting up home together when he met and moved in with a 20-year-old girl. For a while she thought that there must be something wrong with her, but she soon concluded that it was more to do with the base nature of men. She hadn't really trusted men after that and had initially treated John with aloofness and they had settled into a purely professional relationship. By the time she had come to appreciate his character and had realized that she was falling in love with him, their relationship had become a settled but rather distant friendship and he viewed her much as he would a younger cousin. Annoyingly as she tried to make their friendship into something much closer, he had unconsciously started to resist her, and she'd heard him muttering something about their age difference. It was laughable that a similar age difference had meant absolutely nothing to that worm Richards. In the last week something had changed, and she knew that with patience she would land her fish. Turning into her drive she let Frodo out of the car where he had been sleeping since they had left the gallery and going into the house opened a tin of tuna for him. 
She had been tempted to stay longer with John, but it had been obvious that he had needed his sleep. Taking a bottle of South African rosé out of the fridge she poured herself a glass then settled down to watch a detective drama on television. Frodo, having finished his tuna, came into the sitting room and with an approving purr jumped onto her lap and settled down to sleep. The evening passed peacefully, and she was watching the news when the doorbell rang. Frodo hissed slightly then jumped down and ran into the hallway. Going to the window she glanced round the curtain but could see no one at her door. There was however a bag sitting on the wall by her front gate. Elizabeth moved to her front door and listened carefully while peering through the window. Nothing was stirring and she was in a quandary as to whether she should go out and examine the bag when a wedge of light suddenly illuminated her neighbor's garden and she heard him talking to his spaniel, Barney. Grabbing the opportunity, she opened her front door and went straight to the bag. Good evening, Mr. Castle, she called loudly to make sure that he was looking at her, and thus making her safer. Evening Miss Reynolds, what a beautiful night it is with all the stars out. She agreed with her neighbor and looked into the bag. Inside it was a laptop and a note that she removed carefully holding it only by one corner. What's that? Her neighbor asked coming up to the dividing fence. It looks like my colleague's computer, which was stolen this morning. There's a note. What does it say? Elizabeth tilted the note and read, I took your friend's laptop. The break-in at the gallery gave me ideas. I'm sorry I hurt him, and I thought I'd return it. The note worried Elizabeth because the presence of the paintbrushes told her that the intruder into John's cottage was the murderer not a casual opportunistic thief. What are you going to do? Mr. Castle asked interested. I'll phone the police and tell them. I'll offer to drop this round to the station tomorrow morning if it's convenient. Bidding her neighbor good night, Elizabeth carried the bag back to the house. Thankful to be back into safety she turned and locked the door. She froze in terror as a black-gloved hand clamped over her nose and mouth and there was a sharp pricking in her side. A strong smell of creosote assaulted her senses. Do exactly what you are told, and I won't hurt you. A slightly muffled voice that sounded remarkably like Gregory's grated in her ear. She swung her head towards the voice and caught a momentary glance of a black plastic mask before there was another jab to her side and she felt a warm trickle of blood. Do what you are told. I won't hesitate to hurt you if you misbehave. He started to walk her towards her sitting room and initially, cowed by his threats she went meekly. An outraged meow brought her to her senses, this was a murderer, and she was making things easy. She started to struggle but he was too strong for her and the glove over her face was smothering her. She tried but before she knew it, she was secured to a chair with some type of bag over her head. She took a deep breath to scream, and the hand came back over her mouth. Suddenly there was a sharp pain as he stabbed her in the right shoulder. Behave yourself and I won't kill you. Annoy me again and I'll make you suffer before you die, the voice rasped menacingly before a hand closed over her injured shoulder and squeezed cruelly. Nod your head if you understand. She nodded and the voice continued. If you disobey me again or even fail to do what I tell you quickly enough I'll kill your cat. Something about his voice convinced her and she nodded again. She needed to think. The bottom of the bag was raised in something, she thought it was a tea towel was forced between her jaws to gag her. There were some noises that she recognized as a laptop being plugged in and switched on. As the machine made its cheerful chiming noise, she thought that she heard the cat flap in the background but couldn't be certain. She was surprised when the television was turned up but as he removed the gag, she realized that he was taking precautions if she were to suddenly scream. Your friend has uploaded Gregory's art book to a publishing site. Which one is it? Elizabeth kept silent then her head was rocked as a violent slap hit the side of the bag. Tell me now. He hissed in her ear, and the knife prodded into her shoulder again. 
she told him and he turned back to the laptop. That figures, it's one of his favorites. Now tell me his username and password? I don't know. Of course, you do. You do everything for him at the gallery. Obviously, you know. The voice paused and with another prod of the knife he continued. Tell me now. Honestly I can't tell you something I don't know. Let's try something else. He's probably used his dog's or cat's name. There was the sound of typing then, some more than a curse. You must know. Let's see if I can help you remember. Elizabeth flinched as she felt the knife against her neck. He held it there for a second before cutting away at the material of her blouse. She felt the coldness of the blade against the top of her breast as he pushed the blade under her bra strap. Why don't you just go to hell you pathetic bastard? She said in her most conversational voice, suddenly finding her courage, I don't know what you want to know and hurting me won't get you anywhere. The knife blade disappeared and suddenly he slapped her again. No woman ever speaks to me like that. Do you hear me? There was a faint difference in his voice, and she realized that he was mimicking Gregory's voice. Perhaps if he got more frustrated, she might hear his proper voice. The gag was suddenly reintroduced into her mouth this time from the outside of the bag, and she felt the roughness of sacking against her lips. I'm going to fetch your cat. Perhaps its screams will make you cooperate. Elizabeth heard him move away and call Frodo's name, after a while she heard swearing and the sound of things being broken. She felt her mouth trying to smile. She had heard the cat flap earlier. Frodo had run away. The killer came back into the sitting room, and she heard him throw the laptop into the wall and then literally jump on the remains. After a while she heard him sorting through the remains then the sound of hammering as he destroyed the hard drive. The footsteps came back over the sitting room, and she felt his presence as he leant close to her. A few seconds passed then he said very quietly and with an icy calm, unless your friend gives you his login information before noon tomorrow, I will kill both of you and all your blasted animals. Killing him will be a chore, but you will give me lots of fun before you finally die. I'll call you sometime tomorrow afternoon and you'd better have the login details because I will check that you've kept your side of the bargain. Don't get your hopes up, as I'll be using an untraceable mobile. If I can't delete that file I will come visiting again, you can bank on that. Suddenly she felt his hand over her right breast cupping and massaging it through her bra. She stiffened with outrage, and he laughed, it will be much more fun for me if you disobey. The feet crossed the sitting room and the television and then the light was turned off. The hall door closed then a few seconds later the back door opened and shut. She was alone. After a few minutes she started trying to free herself, but the bounds were far too tight, and she couldn't even loosen them. Gradually her limbs began to cramp, and she sat in the dark with her body racked in pain. Copyright Robert M. War 2014, All Original Rights Reserved